0: I was glad that when I called up NPR's David Fulkenflick to talk about Donald Trump's town hall on CNN last week, he, like me, hadn't watched the whole thing live.
1: I didn't. I was putting my kids to bed, so I watched it on a slight delay.
0: Did you want to watch it, or were you like, I'll get to this if I need to?
1: It felt like uh, a little bit as though I was anticipating a rerun of something I'd watched on Netflix, you know, like an old Law & Order episode.
0: Right. It had like a gang's all back feeling.
1: Yeah, but a gang's all back feeling about which you had some ambivalence at best.
0: To me, this town hall, it was a reminder that the Trump show is getting renewed for another season. For the last couple of years, while there have been plenty of stories about Donald Trump, he's been limited in his ability to grab a microphone and unleash a rant that becomes a national brainworm. Now, the grace period's over. There is an added level of absurdity because of the timing. After all, on Tuesday afternoon, Trump was found liable for assaulting and defaming writer Eugene Carroll. The very next day, there he was, completely unfiltered on CNN.
1: Please welcome the frontrunner for the Republican nomination, former President Donald Trump. What stood out to me is that Caitlin Collins was asking some good questions, some tough questions, and she did it from the outset, right?
0: Mr. President, back to what you just said there, though, it was not a rigged election. It was not a stolen election. You and your supporters lost more than 60 court cases on the election. It's been nearly two and a half years can you publicly acknowledge that you did lose the 2020 election?
1: Let me, let me just go on. If you look at Truth the Vote, they found millions. And of votes as the evening went on, she became more and more persistent and insistent that he actually tried to address her questions, and it just didn't matter.
0: Are you ready?
1: Are you ready? Can I talk?
0: Yeah. What's the answer?
1: Can I? Do you mind?
0: I would like for you to answer the okay, question. Okay, it's very simple to answer. That's why I asked it.
1: It's very simple to. You're a nasty person. I'll tell you. About you.
0: Yeah, I mean, he eventually called her a nasty person, but...
1: Yeah, and, and yet at the end, he thanked her for doing a good job, right? Like, because it's all transactional. It's like, do I need to turn on this note? Do I need to turn on that one? You know, what what t- tone do I need to strike in this moment? It's all transactional. None of it really means anything.
0: Crowd seemed to like it.
1: Crowd was eating it up. You're absolutely right.
0: Today on the show... As journalists gear up to cover Trump in 2024, can we avoid making the same mistakes we did the first time? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. David Fulkenflick says part of what was so jarring about watching last week's town hall was that it was so reminiscent of how the media first approached Trump back in 2015. Way back then, he was considered a long-shot candidate, and it seemed to give mainstream media the license to treat him like a curiosity.
1: I think they took him at nauseum. I think they went to almost every rally. I think that they would wait and hold the camera for him. You know, sometimes he'd be 20, 30 minutes late, sometimes over an hour late, and they'd just have, you know, anchors vamping, waiting for him to attend. You saw him eating into primetime shows. I had hosts complained they no longer had control of whether or not they were carrying him. The executives were like, we can't afford to miss what he might say next. And it blotted out the landscape. It blotted out the landscape in a way that... Uh, I think, was really diminishing of other candidates and did damage to our understanding of what that race was about. Trump did this brilliant thing in August of 2015 on Fox News, where he was at the center of a stage of 10 candidates. You have Megyn Kelly, Brett Bayer, Chris Wallace for Fox News, and he's at the center of it. And he decides, I'm going to make this not about me and the other nine chumps on the stage. I'm going to make this about me against them and particularly me against her. So he went after Megyn Kelly. She asked a tough question. He's just like, forget you. And he went after her. You've called
0: women. You don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs and
1: disgusting animals. Your Twitter account. Only Rosie O'Donnell.
0: No, it wasn't. That
1: was the first primary debate, August 2015. Uh, He made it about the press and even about Fox. And so He was the center of every conversation, you know, the 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 groom at every wedding, the corpse at every funeral. It was all about him at all times. And partly it was a gut instinct that he had that was right, that if he were erratic and unpredictable, the press writ large would just take what he said verbatim and nobody else would be able to get in a word edgewise. And kind of true. Oh, that that is exactly what happened. And, (laughs) you know, people, you know, uh, CNN made an extra hundred million dollars that year as a result. Like, literally, an extra $100 million. The Trump bonus. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And they ultimately broke a a billion dollars for the first time in revenues.
0: Looking at his performance in CNN, do you feel like he's changed his approach to the media? Or this is the same thing he did?
1: No, he, he charms when he can and he, you know, steamrolls when he can't.
0: Given that Trump's style hasn't changed, it offers journalists a chance to rethink their own approach to his third presidential run. But watching Caitlin Collins preside over last week's town hall, David was struck by all the ways she was set up to fail. First, there was the matter of who was in the room, watching her spar with Trump.
1: You've got a sympathetic audience that he's already playing to. He's like a comedian or something with his own audience there that he's already warmed up ahead of time. Right. And so it's very hard to wrest that away from him. You have Republican and non-committed people in that crowd, but it felt as though that crowd was very much more... Fans. Yeah. uh, Not only sympathetic, but embracing of him, hostile to her, laughing when Trump was insulting about about Caitlin Collins's questions like that is not an audience that you're reaching as some sort of stand in for the undecided American public. Yeah. So I, I don't think that a live town hall with a candidate like Trump is a way to do that. And I don't think that they had an effective strategy for posing questions that could get them closer to that. But to me, you know, the, the damning thing, and I don't know if it was a condition of the arrangement or not, was not having the ability to sort of lower a video screen and say, well, let's let's hear this in your own words, Mr. President, you know, play something from January 6th, you know, what Trump said and say, why shouldn't people blame you for that? You know, I mean, there's just a, a series of ways you can do this that allow him to undermine his credibility rather than you have to be the surrogate that he can focus his ire on. Now Collins is smart and capable. She's new as a host, so this is it's like they're asking her to swim uh, in a rip current in the English channel uh, shortly hmm. after getting her certification that she's able to swim in the deep end of the pool like she's she's asked to do a lot. This is a big ask. and I think it was a very tough charge and they made it they made it they increased the level of difficulty by by the setup.
0: Yeah, you're saying that basically CNN brought a
1: knife to a gunfight. I, I would say it brought a mic to a gunfight, right? You huh. know, Like, let's just listen. Let's hear what he has to say to this. And live means that you can't interrupt it. And, you know, I think Chris Wallace did a terrific job of this when he was still at Fox News. And he sat down with Trump, uh, I think, in the Rose Garden for a long interview. And he he played the interview verbatim, but he interrupted it at certain moments and showed the audience at home in the TV is like, well, this is what Trump actually said at the time, or this was Trump's real stance, or here are the implications of this, or here are the results of that. And it was very effective. Did you read the charter that he agreed to? It says nothing about defunding the police. Oh, really? It says abolish. It says, let's go. All right. Give me me the charter, please. All right. You've got to start studying for these. He says defund the police. So let's see what this says here. Prosecution, sanctuary cities. Incentivize illegal alien, expand asylum. The worst thing Sir, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you on any of those. I'm disagreeing about defund police. Incent- the White House never sent us evidence the Bernie Biden platform calls for defunding or abolishing police because there is none. It calls for Similarly, Leslie Stahl confronted Trump in real time with his own words because she had prepared it.
0: You know what you told me a long time ago when I asked why you keep saying fake? Yeah. media, yeah. you said to me, I say that because I need to dis- uh, discredit you so that when you say negative things about
1: me, no one will believe you. I don't you. have to discredit you. But that's what You've you told me. you discredited yourself. You know, CNN I, has great visuals and audio and graphics and all these people that can do stuff. You know, it's very hard to do this stuff live, but they could have had two dozen videos queued to play and say, well, let's pull up that clip of uh, Trump talking about this back in May of 2017 or whatever. I think that was a real missed opportunity.
0: The day after this town hall, Anderson Cooper went on his own show to try to respond to all the pushback CNN was receiving. I wonder what you made of his take. Like he basically he said, I understand why people are angry, but Trump is the front runner and staying in your silo is not going to make him go away.
1: Now, many of you think CNN shouldn't have given him any platform to speak, and I understand the anger about that, giving him the audience, the time. I get that. But this is what I also get. The man you were so disturbed to see and hear from last night, that man is the front runner for the Republican nomination for president. And according to polling, no other Republican is even close. That man you were so upset to hear from last night, he may be president of the United States in less than two years. And that audience that upset you? That's a sampling of about half the country. They are your family members, your neighbors. and So
0: kind of like, I understand you, but also I defend what we did. What do you make of that take?
1: I think that Cooper was trying to talk to his own audience, uh, many of whom may well have been alienated or livid by what they saw play out. And he's saying, you may not have liked it, but we're trying to make sure people hear what a leading candidate for the Republican Party uh, has to say. That's all well and good. You know, as I sometimes say to my kids, um, are those my only two choices that you either stay in your silo or you have Trump in front of a sympathetic audience live? Because there are other ways to handle it.
0: Yeah. Have you talked to people inside CNN about how they're feeling and what the vibe is? What do they say?
1: Uh, I think that there is almost uniform feeling that this didn't work out in a way that CNN emerges, you know. You know, when you're doing TV news, like you want it to be both things, right? You want it to be good journalism, but first you want it to be good television and Hmm. you want it to satisfy and and make it a satisfying uh, experience for viewers that they were compelled to watch and compelled to keep watching, that they would feel so, you know, uh, infused with energy by it that they'd keep watching the after show and that they'd talk about it for the next few days. People are talking. People are talking, but not for the right reasons. Well, you know, and look, Trump did make some headlines there. We do have some, you know, greater elaboration of where he says he stands at the moment on Ukraine, although he's, you know, a, you know, a shapeshifter on such things. You know, you have some more information about certain policy things, but it's that should be the information that comes out of this. Right. Not all the rest of it surrounding it. But, you know, inside CNN, you know, you had Oliver Darcy openly, you know, I don't have to betray any sources, you know, he (laughs) their own media reporter openly writing in their own uh, much touted media newsletter. There's no way in which this could be seen as a success for CNN. There are a lot of people internally who are are talking, a a few of whom I've spoken to as well, who are just saying this is kind of crushing It feels like we were not in control of our own event in any way, shape, or form.
0: When we come back, David and I lay down the new rules for covering Trump. Can we make some new rules for covering and considering Donald Trump as a presidential candidate? Like, I'm wondering what, to your mind, if we're living in David Folkenflik's world... Like, what does the next six to 12 months look like in terms of covering Trump well?
1: I just feel as though the bar has to be so much higher for the idea of carrying him live because an event is not necessarily news, right? Like the fact that TV news can take him live doesn't mean that TV news has to take him live. You can tape it and decide if there's news value there, not simply the value being that people might stay tuned to you because they don't know what he's going to say next. Nobody feels that about Nikki Haley. Oh, my God. Or Tim Scott. My God, what are they going to say next? It's I'm on the edge of my seat. So that's why people take Trump live. It's the what the hell is he going to say next quotient? That's not news judgment. That's a TV judgment.
0: It's like completely deciding not to judge. It's just sort of like, let's just let this rip.
1: Yeah, it's amoral to the point of immoral, right? Because you're just like, I I don't have any judgment here. And then it's taking you to some very weird, dark places where, you know, again, with the event at the town hall, you needed to have the ability to introduce video Elements You needed maybe to have graphics for the people at home from, you know, Daniel Dale or the K-File or other reporters and anchors and producers at CNN who research this stuff and have covered it real time and then can hammer at the lies, the falsehoods.
0: What about having an audience? Should there be audiences? I feel like the audience was part of what was so sticky about the town hall.
1: I mean, if you're going to stack the audience with fans, then, you know, it's wrestling, it's not, you know, it's not debate or, you know, the British do this a different way. They have a much more confrontational interviewing style, but their audiences are almost always scattered with some supporters, some opponents and some skeptics or, you know, undecided. And, you know, was this done with pollsters? Was this done with people who focused t- group the people who are being done or was this, you know, people suggested by the local party? Like, I don't know hmm. exactly how these these groups were assembled. You know, I think the Trump people were able to, you know, infuse a small number of specific people into the crowd. And, you know, those can be inf- influencers if they're laughing loudly or clapping at certain times or whatever. But it's OK if people are supportive organically of what somebody has to say. But I think the the way this was constructed really damaged uh, the ability of Caitlin Collins to establish a rapport that said she was in control of the event.
0: yeah. I mean, we're talking about live events with Trump, interviews with Trump, but there's a whole separate question about what to do about just covering Trump, the candidate, and how maybe reporters should be approaching that differently. Like Perry Bacon in The Washington Post laid out some rules I thought were really interesting. Like you talked about some of them were familiar, like don't get caught up in the horse race, talk about the stakes of the election versus the odds. He suggested covering Trump's agenda in detail because a lot of times you can get distracted by the person and, and just not even get into what he's saying is going to do. But there was one thing that Perry suggested that I just wanted your take on. He suggested not making neutrality or objectivity the main goals of coverage. I wonder... If you would wrestle with that one a little bit.
1: Sure. So, you know, objectivity is this idea that you're not taking a side. You know, you are the observer, sometimes the umpire or witness to to something and you're recounting the best version of facts. The funny thing about objectivity is that if you really believe in it, it's not that you don't care what happens. It's that you are following what the progressives called an objective path, almost like a scientific effort to discern what those facts are and where they take you. To me, that is what objectivity in its best sense can be. But because it has become folded in with this idea of being agnostic about everything and kind of throw your hands up and say, well, it's up to you, the reader, to make sense of everything. It's got kind of dragged down as a value. And I understand that. I've written that the press wasn't up to the task. Of Trump and did often simply reflect what he had to say and then what critics had to say and left it at that as those saying, well, no, the implications of this are seem to be violate certain key constitutional principles or certain long enacted laws or whatever. Right. And those are important implications to pack into your coverage and not let alone. You're saying being fair is different than being neutral. Yeah. I mean, like, simply reporting what Trump says unchecked is not fair. Yeah. Here's a place I get stuck,
0: which is that there are so many different schools of thought on how we do things better this time around. They don't necessarily align. Like, I was reading Steve Inskeep's blog where he was basically saying, sometimes there's a value for unfiltered Trump being out in the world— basically to show the world what he's really all about. I've seen this argument before because some folks have argued it's time to have him back on Twitter. Basically, people need to know what they're working with here. And then there are other people like Claire Malone over at The New Yorker who've cautioned that if we return to this kind of wall-to-wall Trump, it'll just desensitize people to sort of open the tap like this. I'm wondering where you fall here.
1: I guess I would graze at a lot of these places on this buffet of choices, right? You know, I think that there's an argument to be made that that he needs to, you know, if you only put him in rumble or something or true social, what he's saying will not be seen by as many people. You know, I'm, I'd probably be OK with him being back on Twitter as long as he's not you know, inciting violence or, 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 you know, inciting hate. But with that comes the responsibility of news executives to decide not to cover everything he tweets or puts on social media, right? Or everything he says, like not make him the definer of every news cycle.
0: Yeah, last time I feel like the reason why the press covered Trump the way they did sort of every tweet, every, you know, all the time, 24-7, was because like that made sense for previous presidents, like (laughs) that kind of coverage, because they weren't behaving in the way Trump was. And now we, we should know better. And the fear of the town hall is that the lessons have not been learned i guess like i love the way this writer at the new yorker put it where she said you know crazy news about trump is what brings us together (laughs) (laughs) it's it's the last gasp of american monoculture because it struck me as both depressing and true like everyone's interested in this guy for different reasons but it's the it's like the hearth we're all gathering around and that's that's what this town hall proved
1: I think there's a point to what's being said there. I don't think that's a good enough reason to carry him wall to wall. He's an unconventional candidate uh, that may require some unconventional thinking in covering him. I don't think it means he gets a pass. I think that I think it's also really important that people cover him for his record and not treat him as a mere challenger who hasn't been in office, right?
0: Right. Like he's done things.
1: He's done things.
0: And he's saying he's going to do more things. Right. (laughs) So we should pay attention.
1: He both wants to get the benefit of that and not to be held accountable for that. Right. He wants to be treated as though he's the novelty 2015, 2016 character. But he wants to have the benefit of saying, hey, you know, when I was in office, things were better, regardless of whether or not they were better. They were exhausting. And people can decide if that's what they want and if they like the direction of the policies that he took because he's going to do more of same or perhaps more intensely of same. But, you know, the great lesson is that just because somebody talks about himself as an irresistible force and impossible to overcome gravitational pull doesn't mean you actually have to decide to do things. Things are
0: choices. (laughs) Yeah, I guess you're saying just because he has this gravitational pull, it doesn't mean we need to orbit him.
1: Yeah, you don't have to buy into that. You can say it may mean that you don't get the interviews as much as you want, but ultimately it's clear he wants to be on media. He wants the attention.
0: Do you think we're better set up than we were in 2016 to cover Trump this time around?
1: Yeah, we have all the information in front of us we need. Doesn't mean that we have the perfect solutions, but we've got tools. We understand his things. You can test it and train it and figure it out. Do you think we're going to use these tools? I think that certain different decisions will be made by certain news outlets that that don't want the backlash that this is engendered i'd be very surprised if cnn used this format again with trump i mean the good news is it's really early it's may of the year before so this doesn't have to matter so we can make mistakes yeah it's just like okay now we know this doesn't work all right what now let's be smart what now
0: david folkenflick i'm super grateful for your time thanks for coming on the show it's great to talk again mary what a pleasure David Fulkenflick is NPR's media correspondent. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Madeline Ducharme, and Anna Phillips. We're getting a ton of support these days from Laura Spencer. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. You can track me down on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here tomorrow.